Hello everybody and welcome back to episode number five of Bound Sonar. For those of you who have been listening to the other episodes, welcome back. Thank you so much. It really means a lot to me. And for anyone tuning in for the first time, welcome. My name is Alejandro. This is my podcast, Bound Sonar where I talk to folks here in Montreal that have made audio and or music their livelihoods. Today's conversation features an amazing composer, artistic director, piano player, improviser, singer, and the list goes on and on and on. A person that I personally find very inspiring. Born and based in Montreal and of Greek and French-Canadian heritage, Today, I'm sharing my conversation with Liberté Anne Limbero. She not only has a very impressive background, but she also has a very interesting way of thinking about and conceiving music, which I found not only interesting and inspiring, but I also find it very passionate. Liberté Anne is not only very active in the music scene, but she also does a lot of very amazing work supporting and helping other musicians out as a cultural worker. Our conversation went actually for so long and it was honestly so interesting that I decided to split it into two separate episodes, meaning that not only will you have a longer insight into what we discussed, but there will also be two music tracks. As per usual, if you want to just have a listen to the music, you can either scroll towards the end of the episode Or you can also go to all streaming platforms and enjoy the track that Libertéan and I worked on together. I once again want to thank Libertéan very much for having taken the time to come here to the studio to chat a little bit and to more importantly make some music together. It was honestly very, very fun. And without any further ado, here is my conversation with Libertéan. Now the one thing I still don't have is like an intro line because I... Hello, you're listening to blah, blah, blah. Yeah, I, I need okay. a little speech. A tagline. Yeah. What I did not do for my the other previous people that came here, I never introduced them, so I won't do that. <gasps> It was weird. We got into yeah. talking straight. But you can always tag that. I should give you the opportunity. It's always awkward, but okay, yeah. we'll do it. Yes. So please, <laughs> who are you and what okay. do you do? <laughs> um, my name is Liberty Anne Limberiu. Mm-hmm. Uh, I go by Liberté Anne or Liberty Anne. And I'm a composer. I also play piano. I also sing. And uh, mainly I write for big band. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also write for all types of ensembles, mostly jazz or improvised or new music type of ensembles. I really like woodwinds, reeds, you know, and percussion, you know, anything that has to do with rhythm. So that's what I've mostly focused on to date. And uh, what can I say? I did all my schooling in voice, so that kind of makes me different. Mm. I still haven't formally, formally studied composition. Love it. So I'm, I'm waiting for the postdoc offers to come in. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I think this will be, this can count for the, the portfolio, for sure. Um, I've studied with different people in different contexts and I've been a lot very like autodidact 
And uh, I'm so I'm just I like to think that I'm always learning. I like to still 20 years old and I'm just still learning everything (laughs) for better or for worse, like (laughs) at some point. But uh, but yeah, that's there you go. Epic. Yes. So, I mean, I had done a little bit of research because I found very interesting the fact that you are like a trained singer Mm -hmm. and not necessarily a trained composer, but. And also the fact that you work with woodwinds, which are the most, well, not the most, but they're very tied to the voice in the sense of breeding. Yeah, the air. Mm -hmm. And even melodically, I feel like it's very common. They have very common ground Mm -hmm. because they can, they're restrained, so to speak, by breath. So, yeah, I thought that was really, really cool. And how that translates in the, the bits and pieces that I've heard from you, which are really, really interesting. And... What intrigued me the most was also the the big band component. It's not very prominent out there. But it's not mm-hmm. that it, it's not there, but it's not in everyone's radar unless you're more or less aware of them. Right, unless you study jazz. Unless you study, of course, yes. <laughs> if you are, if you did, right. if you're a jazz person, then you'll for yeah. sure you'll know about them. One thing I do have to ask before we continue: What was the last thing, the last piece of music that you listened to? Like today, coming here. Yeah. Yes. I have to look at my history of do my it, phone. Unfortunately, this is what I realized. Uh-huh. I too have become the lazy listener. Mm-hmm. I just put on the Spotify and I put <sighs> on the artist that I want to listen to. I don't pay for Spotify, which is like maybe even more or less terrible. Anyway, <laughs> so yeah, I try to I try to get them to play the song that I want to hear. Yeah. And then I just let it roll. Right, know? right, right. Like a, kind of like the radio of the artist sort of thing. Yeah. So basically I prefaced that to say that I did not necessarily purposefully listen to it, this. <laughs> that sounds like, a bit of an excuse. It's not an excuse because this is like very nice music, but I actually don't know much about the Abela Savne de Bella. This is a little more generic. But, um, bon, Cantique de Jean Racine. The Fochi. Well, like, everybody knows that. But before that, it yeah. was... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, I'm That's whatever. Right. Yes. But, but before that, it was this album, uh, like a collaboration with Third Coast pr- uh, Percussion, mm. which is an American percussion ensemble. Right, I haven't heard of it. That I, that I actually uh, sent a, a, a work proposal for, <gasps> but they probably won't take me because they're they're fucking they're like very awesome and they have a lot of people applying and i'm still like (laughs) please i have so much to learn and i really have a lot to learn i'm kind of doing these like as a as practice right yeah because i mean like it's it's never a bad idea to do it and fucking people are sorry i really don't think kirsten is going to be an issue i have a lot to learn before i can really be in the running that's kind of my that's my perception right so that's what it was i can't find the title Cool. <laughs> so, uh, okay, so because of how you describe how you use, say, Spotify to, you allow it to present you with new options, yeah. then I would assume that that also means you're more or less an open person yeah. in terms of new stuff to listen to. Yeah, I'm very open. Like, uh, like these days I've been listening to more classical and contemporary classical music because... Right. I was answering a lot of call for scores and call for proposals in that kind of world. Sure. So, so it's a bit it kind of opened up the ensembles who were doing the call. I went to check out their music. Like, mm-hmm. Oh, interesting. Mm-hmm. Da, da, da. And it's a world that I hear my music, what I'm already writing, fringes on that world. 
So I figured out, well, I might as well start listening to this stuff because I never really listened to it. Yeah, it's only I when I, people would hear my music, they would say, oh, do you know this person? You know, it sounds like huh. this. I'm like, eh? <laughs> <laughs> but, I don't but know. But it wasn't really like a conscious... It was not a conscious... No. Right. Not a con I never listened to You weren't to listening to them music. as inspiration no. when you were writing for them. No. That's very cool. Yeah. So now I want to hear what's out there, actually. Mm -hmm. I want to know what people are doing because I feel very ignorant, you know, I'm <laughs> like, I just, I don't know what are people doing. Right. Um, so I, so I, that's why some, I'll listen just randomly mm -hmm. to kind of let things come up. Like for instance, like one of the pieces that came up was a piece by Pierluigi Bilone, mm -hmm. who's a composer, Italian composer. And he actually came to Montreal Weird. through Noi Banda uh -huh. yeah. uh, a few months ago. And uh, he did like, they did a, like a short three-day festival of just his work. Awesome. So it was very intense. But the piece that struck me the most was this solo alto piece mm -hmm. that they even had a violist from Italy come and perform. Whoa. This piece was phenomenal. It was 20 minutes or something of uh -huh. solo alto. Whoa. And it was so meticulous in the research of the tone and the effects. Mm -hmm. I think it's it was the best balance, I think, between the intention of the composer meeting the absolute skill and sensitivity of the performer. Right. Because this piece could have probably been a disaster. I mean, it was hmm. mostly drones and noise and effects. Uh -huh. You know, a lot of like extended techniques that... Sure. C'est brutiste, c'est uh -huh. vraiment brutiste, you know? Right, right, right. But, I mean, the way the whole piece was arranged and then the, the, just the sheer emotion and intensity that the performer brought, hmm. it was mind-blowing. Um, really because you have to really believe. When you're playing mm -hmm. a, a muted string with the back of your bow and you're just going... Yeah. The fuck, yeah. <laughs> the fuck is the that? For the sake of the noise, it's just the noise. It's just a noise mm -hmm. and it can be terrible. It yeah. can be just so abrasive and just useless. Yeah, you know? for sure. But in the context of the rest of the piece and just the, the sheer, like, the way this performer was playing, it was amazing. It really brought you on a trip. Like, mm -hmm. I really felt that it was a trip. And that's uh, hard to do. Right, to, of, like, of to bring the audience in with with sounds that are usually alienating mm -hmm. or maybe that's even old fashioned to say that, but it's still for me who I'm very open-minded mm -hmm. sonically, but I'm not particularly versed in that whole family of, of style of music, like right. the new music like that's more contemporary like contemporary, of. like mm -hmm. noise, drone, serialism, like all those things. I'm not particularly versed in those things, right? I see. but but I'm very sensitive to the emotion, and that's when I can tell like yeah. if somebody's really performing something, and they've they've connected to the piece. Mm -hmm. That's that's like my entry point. Well, but that's very interesting because if the performer, like you said, if it, if the performer doesn't trust the journey that the composer set out, then there's no way that the people listening are gonna believe that. Exactly. Yeah. Even if said. you're yeah, even if you're creating like noise. It can be alienating. Yeah, I agree that it might be a little like an old-fashioned term in a way, but I feel when you're not just creating sounds, but you're actually working with a performer who will create those sounds, as opposed to doing something electronically where you are creating it, then the emotional aspect of the interpretation, it's it's not calculated the same way a, 
a synth would do it or uh, a coding would do it. It's really the element of trust is is very is really important. crucial. Uh, yeah, because you have to translate your thought to another human being. You're not directly inputting your emotion, your experience to a software. Mm -hmm. You have to have another person understand you. Yeah. And and yeah, and I think that's actually the performer. Like you said, it's like the performer is the first frontier between the composer and the audience. Yeah. Exactly. Like they're actually your most important allies before mm. anybody of the public can appreciate your music. I think mm -hmm. the performers you work with or that you have the honor to work with, mm -hmm. right? Because, I mean, seriously, uh, it's, it's becoming more and more rare. Just in different spheres, it's more difficult to work directly with performers mm -hmm. and to work continuously with the same performers. But when you have the performers who trust your vision as a composer and who appreciate what you're doing. And so they work with you once and then they work with you again. Mm -hmm. That's the, for me, that's the first stepping ground into presenting your music to the world. That's and very like, true. Yeah. That's how it worked for me. And that's always been my yardstick. It's like, mm -hmm. okay, if at least if the, if the musicians I work with really honestly like what I do, mm -hmm. then I know I have a chance with the public because we're exactly. still people and yeah. we still have, Mm -hmm. Sounds that we want to hear that other people want to hear, regardless if they're musicians or not. Mm -hmm. True. So, yeah, and it's true. It depends on on the the style, the genre. But I also think that unfortunately there's a bit of like a, a disregard from the part of a lot of people making music, composers or musicians, who not don't necessarily appreciate fully the presence and the backing of another musician playing your music. Because it's too easy to write for a computer, for uh, it's it's very easy to create anything that will sound more or less human, with virtual instruments or whatever. But then, for, on the one side, it is getting a little bit more more difficult, depending on the genre. But when you do get a chance, it's not everyone who fully appreciates what it means to have the sensitivity of a musician interpret what you wrote, because you might not even be fully aware of what you wrote. Mm -hmm. In terms of, yes. like, emotionally. And even until, technically. I mean, on, on many levels. Yeah. On many levels, yeah, mm -hmm. for sure. Yeah, unfortunately, that's, a, you know, to use, like, a, a... What's the word? Like, a it word, you know? Like, well, you know, words, <laughs> I don't know. The words that are, like, popular in the moment. Um, trend? Yeah, trending, like, a trending term. Like, uh -huh. emotional intelligence. Right, yeah. <laughs> but this, no, but is it, the, this is it. You yeah. know, you have different composers who have varying levels of emotional intelligence mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and i think that the very emotionally intelligent composers are more likely to recognize or like will recognize to yeah. a greater depth that implication and the importance of having that bond and that relationship with the with an instrumentalist a musician mm -hmm. and they'll honor it as opposed to you know and it happens to everyone at some point you take it you take it for granted but there's different levels, you know? Of course. And uh, and that's definitely not something to be taken for no, granted. because <laughs> in your own development as a composer, you find yourself appreciating it more the more you are able to collaborate. Because yeah. it is still a privilege, I think, at least I see it, to be able to play with people or to have mm -hmm. people perform your music. Because a lot of contexts don't have the time or the budget, which is incredibly unfortunate. Well, considering that working, collaborating with musicians 
is evidently something crucial for your music making. Was it always like that? Was it always um, connections, ensemble, playing together? Well, I never, like to this day, I'm not versed in digital composition. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, I've always done uh, acoustic group work. I've written very few solo pieces even, mm -hmm. if any. I can't remember. No. But, no, but that, obviously not that enough is, to be significant. Right, exactly. Yeah. So, but that it, in and of itself is like yeah. quite interesting. It's always community. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Mm. In a way, it's at least always one other person that I'm inviting into my mania, so to say. <laughs> <laughs> Help me. Yeah. <laughs> right? yeah. Literally. Yeah. Like, please tell me I'm not too crazy. Yeah. Um, Yeah, so I've always, I mean, that was the context of my going to school, you know, in jazz jazz programs, you always mm -hmm. have a combo, you always have sure. something. So that's how it started. And that's actually how, I mean, this is my own perception, but I, I really picked up on all those human cues. Like, mm -hmm. I, I'm very, I think I'm very, uh, with the years, I mean, I have to admit, like, I'm very sensitive to that. Mm -hmm. And... And I recognized from like from my early, well, from my last years at Vanier, or even from the beginning at Vanier with combos, I was like, well, if if you write music that musicians will like to play, you will always have a band. That is very true. And sometimes, and somehow, I always thought more about the musicians and the community of artists than I did about the public, mm -hmm. for right. better or for worse. Again, mm -hmm. like I. And that's where we could come into Philip Glass, yeah, I, right? I, 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 could, I, could, I could see it taking in for sure. Yeah, I get it. Um, yeah. But but really early on, I said, okay, if I write music that musicians will like, mm -hmm. I'll always be able to produce music in one way or another. I'm always going to be able to compose. I'm always going to be able to perform. Yep. And so, what do musicians like? Then that that's the question that is that comes. Mm -hmm. And for me, that doesn't mean writing what somebody else wants to play. But it means considering what they feel good in. Mm -hmm. So if it's a technical aspect of like not writing something crazy difficult, something stupid, yeah, you exactly. know, because yeah. we're not machines. Yeah, of course. You know, then it's like, okay, and this is very central to a lot of my work, especially the work I do with the big band is giving them space to have a freedom of expression, mm. a freedom of interpretation. And it's something that, you know, I've been fortunate to have very intuitively and the feedback I've gotten over the years is like that in, is indeed something that is just translated in my band and with the people I work with, like everybody in mm -hmm. the band always felt like they had their place to be, they didn't feel stifled, even right. though everything's written. Yeah. Everything's written, there's That's solo cool. plays, mm -hmm. there's solo sections, but it's the overall, like there's something about the music that they could really input themselves into mm -hmm. and also they had mm -hmm. space to shine to show off their ability and I and I played to their strengths I didn't want to write and that takes skill mm -hmm. too like you have to know Very much like so, the yeah. level of your of your instrumentalist and then be able to write for their instrument in a way that's going to make them come out right and not write in a way that might be technically proficient mm -hmm. but that in the end just stifles them yeah Oh, and I, makes them play mm -hmm. smaller than what they can actually. Yeah, and th that's such a hard thing to learn as a composer, especially. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's it's not even something that's I feel is encouraged a lot of the times. Well, because it it requires a, a 
an understanding of instrumentation, mm -hmm, right? Sure. Mm -hmm. Which is something you do learn in school and mm -hmm. through practice. Uh, but then it, it requires that you know the people, yeah. which is encouraged in jazz. I don't know how it is in the classical world. Mm -hmm. I think that's a big difference, but maybe not. I mean, I don't know. I didn't go to <laughs> classical school, so I won't speak on it. But in jazz history, one of the main things that's brought out is the composers were writing for those specific people. Mm -hmm. They weren't writing for a generic trumpet. So then I, I adopted that for myself because I said, okay, well, I have like a very close drummer that I always work with. I have a very close saxophonist that I always work with, very close trombone, blah, 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 blah. And and so kind of just innately, whenever I would write something, I already knew in my mind it had to fit in the construct of what that person was good at. Their sure. range, their tone, their mm -hmm. emotivity, and so on. Well, I guess even when each of them is going to get a solo section, who's going to follow who, all those in intuitive decisions for you who knows the ensemble right. might come in easy. Yeah. Even though I, I have a kind of like a half classical background, half more like production background. And when I studied composition in the classical side of things, I because I, it, I wasn't a performer, I didn't get too involved with them. Mm -hmm. Definitely but with working with those students or uh, students at that time, you aren't necessarily encouraged to collaborate mm -hmm. out, outside, obviously, the idea that like, you have to play in a trio, you have to play in a quartet, you have to play in a quintet. If your instrument requires so, you might play in a small orchestra because that's part of what the instrument does. Mm -hmm. But even from their perspective, I do remember it's not, um, it sounds a little horrible to say, but they're not more than just the instrument that plays yeah, that. right. They're, they're, they're trained to be very impersonal. Yeah, perfect technically and to perform what's in front of you the best way possible for sure. Yeah. They, uh, to be a professional and to yes. play. There's no question that they're absolutely expected. like masters of their own instrument for sure. But as far as that even camaraderie, it's right. not necessarily there in the same way. Right. It does, it, which is really bizarre because it does exist outside. Mm -hmm. As soon, even as you step outside the school, it, it exists because we don't only listen to classical music. There's many more. And I remember uh, when I was in Sydney, there were classical musicians who I began like engaging with because I wanted to record. And I found myself writing for them. And by all means, not the same as you were uh, describing because I was not writing I, I have to be honest, I wasn't writing anything too special, but when when they began playing what I was writing, they were really interested in being mm -hmm. able to engage something that's outside of their norm mm -hmm. and that required them to be aware of each other in a different way that they were before, which was a way that was very normal because I have I've also have a background as a drummer, so I'm used to playing off people and yep. seeing if someone having a particularly good day and they're playing really fast that day then you go and like you hang on to that or the opposite can be true like you might see someone kind of stumbling like well you help them pick up the pace or whatever and a classical musician I feel or I, I, this is too general then if anyone who listens to this will probably eat me alive by saying mm -hmm. that but it's a little bit more rigid in a way yeah so stepping like getting them outside of that 
their own limitations was. I saw that it was interesting for them, even though they... Yeah, they felt called, like they... Something interpolé, I don't know how yeah. to say that. You know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think you can say interpolé, I don't know. But yeah, I know what mm. you mean. <laughs> and even back then, I was I was working with the same six musicians, which were flutist, clarinet, uh, French horn, two violins, and a cello. And I was like, oof, I'm going to have my little Philip Glass ensemble style kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So had I stayed in, in Sydney, I think I would have tried my best to had stayed in like together with those musicians because then you kind of see i i then this is what i really want to ask of you like how you see yourself learning how to interpret and how to play off of how you can read your musicians but how have they influenced the music itself that's a good question uh how have the musicians Mm -hmm. influenced me in my writing Hmm. Off the top, I can't really tell you specifically. Um, that's actually something I want to work on in mm-hmm. a upcoming project that oh, I'm going to cool. start writing, like next year. Uh-huh. Uh, but I'm going to be specifically writing for certain soloists. Ooh. So I'm going to be digging much more deeply into their language. I've hmm. done these things, again, like intuitively. That's why I can't really tell you, well, how much have they influenced me because they don't, I don't see it as I play to their strengths mm-hmm. and that influences me because I know their strengths, but I don't purposefully go with, and this is what I'm going to do with this next project. Uh, this person is, is interested in uh, Balkan music. Mm. I'm going to like, like a trombonist, Etienne Lebel, who plays right. in my band. Uh-huh. He's uh, studied a lot and his own band does a, a fusion of Eastern European Balkan music, especially like Bulgarian. Mm-hmm. Um, so cool. And then jazz, you know. So I don't usually approach it like that. Oh, they're into that. I'm going to write something taking that. Mm-hmm. Now I'm going to experiment and do that with this <laughs> upcoming project because uh, it's challenging. Because then you have to be careful not to fall into something that's formulaic mm-hmm, for sure. and something that's done before. Uh, obviously, I mean, it's not like... We're reinventing, but you know, yeah, this is going to be a, a a special challenge for me to like really get get more into their heads mm. and really write like a, a like a concerto, you uh-huh. know, exactly, and like for really them. for mm. them put that put it in their voice to to like put them at the forefront. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's going to be new for me. And have you worked with the soloists before? Yeah, they're all they're all, all the soloists that have that have. Uh, selected are colleagues of mine from a long time so i picked Uh, three from my new york band mm -hmm. and three from my band here and if i can do more i'll do more of it starts with six pieces it's called down (laughs) when they're done (laughs) then you'll see yeah yeah, but well at least it's good that it's still obviously a challenge but you don't have to start from scratch no, no, I'm them. not going to... No, no, Because no, no, otherwise no. it would be way too much work. No, it would be too much work and it would not be organic. Yeah. Imagine doing that uh, with somebody you don't know. Like, oh, I want to uh, get inside your head. Mm-hmm. Can no. I move in with you 20... Like, right. Uh, I'll be with you 20 weeks. You see? So that's like also the emotional intelligence. Like, mm-hmm. you're not going to come and, and ask something of a, of a musician or any artist that that you're not entitled to. Of course. You know, there yeah. are certain things that you just don't have a right yeah. <laughs> to, no, it, true, to ask, true. right? And you have to respect those boundaries. Of, and even in these more close uh, 
collaborations, all the relationships are different and all these people are different. So I'm only going to be able to access as much as is possible yeah, as much with as each they, person, they as much as they're with. comfortable, you know, doing and, and time spent with me mm-hmm. and all that. Yeah, yeah. sometimes the things that people ask of, of artists is déplacé, you know, it's like... Sure. It's, it's it's too much like, like you you it's uncalled for it's these are all relationships that are built with time and trust and for mm-hmm. trust to be established you have to do things like yeah. things are not just given to you mm-hmm. handed to you you don't have a right to all these things right it's a it's a give and take so mm-hmm. you start small you say hey can you come on a rehearsal if that goes well okay they might come back there ah can you take this solo yeah okay no 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 that's how it goes you can't, I mean, I know that other disciplines do th- this very, this is very different between music, say, mm-hmm. and dance or acting, mm. where dance already, they'll make you come in and you're already oftentimes sharing like all these very intimate personal uh, stories. This is just stuff I've heard from people in the in the contemporary dance world. And if, if a composer or a director was to come to musicians asking things like, oh, what was your first sexual experience? We'd be like, get the fuck out. Yeah, like, there's yeah. no way, you Get know? Away from right but now. that, because that's their culture. Yeah. And they've developed this way of work, working collaboratively. And okay, fine. <laughs> that, that belongs to you. But that's not really how we do it uh, no, in course. general in music, you know? Yeah. Because it's, it's a much more abstract, uh, well, it's, dance is as abstract, but. I don't know. It's something in the creative. Um, the creative process is very different. Yeah. Dancers spend a lot more time with each other, and they have to be much closer to each other all the time. So I think it begs that kind of fast intimacy. Yeah, for sure. Because literally, they have to be yeah. with each other, yeah. next to each other, yeah. touching each other, yeah. and it's. If you had like a orchestra doing that, that would be really awkward. Yeah. It would be really awkward. It's. It's also not the. Um, Un- unless you, you're doing some kind of like hybrid performance piece, mm-hmm. it's not the norm of any of the repertoire. Mm-hmm. And the thing is always, well, you communicate through your music. You don't communicate through words. I was actually having this conversation a while ago because it's also, again, for better or for worse. Like mm-hmm. musicians are very often, they can be very, like as a listener, you can connect with them so much emotionally just from what you feel of their performance they'll be very expressive yeah. in their performance they they seem to address every possible experience under the sun mm-hmm. but then when they get off the bands and when they're not under the kind of the protection of the abstractness of their sound and their instrument yeah they become very closed off and yeah. very uncommunicative very um emotionally stunted sometimes and i think that is a direct correlation with the amount of substance abuse in in the in the music world Uh um and that's something that as i get older i want to address you know Mm -hmm. like why can we express so much when it's hidden through sounds and melodies but then when we actually have to say something we're too afraid. Mm-hmm. We won't. We won't do it. Yeah. And so I think that's something we can learn from the dance world, actually, when it comes to Very collaborating, yeah. especially collaborating with. Well, whether you've been working with a band or an orchestra for a long time or not, if you're just like people coming together for a specific project, mm-hmm. um, it would. It could be interesting 
it's but for me it's more of a culture thing it's not like a project thing like let's do a project or we're all like super intimate together mm. no because again you have to own you have to earn that trust yeah exactly but yeah. i think it's something that could be it's becoming more and more of a discussion ever since like just before covid and after mm-hmm. you know the whole mental health in yeah. the in the music industry mm-hmm. and i think that as in schools and in professional settings it, i think it will come naturally but i'm very interested in developing that kind of interpersonal relationships security like the the respect of each mm-hmm. person in the room yeah, and that's really and make it that people don't have to be so guarded all the time mm-hmm. and a lot of times they do they have every single reason to be guarded and they should be you know because there's a lot of predatorial people out there and mm-hmm. and sometimes unconsciously too we don't and then so then there's the other thing of we're not very aware of how our just our overall actions affect mm-hmm. people in these very vulnerable situations of you having to perform and you having to express something mm-hmm. yeah 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 so it's like reworking mm-hmm. or relearning this whole way of how to be together yeah and i think that on in the long run we the whole community would really benefit from it because everybody could be a little more open totally and when you're more open and and people are able to receive you then you have less pain <laughs> honestly yes you know yeah but so it's like then we don't have to drink as much maybe maybe drink tickets will be a thing of the past <laughs> yeah you'll be the weirdo who's drinking there like what you're having a drink no yeah. but it's a very very good point because it and i feel i see it kind of playing off a lot of different angles culturally socially and within like the music world where you for like the most simple way of looking at it is always that this idealistic notion socially that musicians no matter the style you know they're they're artists so they put their souls and so they're more complicated so there's a reason why they're you know like they shy away they have to give their all when they're in stage and in their music making and it makes sense that then they won't talk to you in the like afterwards or during the day because mm-hmm. they're artists right so and that's so romanticized for a lot of yeah. like kids that even want to become involved in music with that notion in place like mm-hmm. kind of normalizing it but also kind of expecting and hoping almost that it happens right which is absolutely gross yeah and that really permeates in every aspect of music music business but also just music in general where then everything revolves around that idea where everyone who is either a musician or performer or a composer does not have any leeway they're just there to create suffer your suffering will be translated using musicians who in their turn have to interpret those feelings so they have to feel them so that their crowd or the listeners are satisfied. Mm-hmm. And then everyone gets to go home and not live their actual not emotions. Not live their real life, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And it's expected. And then we are also kind of meant to not question it, not want to change it. But then every, even any other aspect of what you're doing uh, from a professional point of view, like from a money-making point of view, like you're, you're not interested in that or you're less aware of that. So that also influences, it influences your art, but it also influences you as a human being, being lucky enough to make music for a living, I I feel. Right. So you're saying that your level of emotional awareness and capacity to express it will impact negatively your ability to 
to have a, a stable financial professional life? In a way, it's more like I feel like it affects the way you look at your own um, uh -huh. experience, music right, making okay. experience. Yes. So you're yeah. not even looking at it from as where I feel it should be fully, because mm -hmm. it involves obviously the creative yeah. and the artistic part is important, but we're also never really meant to think of every, anything else outside right, of correct. that scope. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, we become so, uh, like, turned on ourselves mm -hmm. and, like, always, like, in, so hyper-involved with our own experience, our own emotion, and then we project that out, losing the, the knowledge that there are other factors in life that are going to impact our careers. In it's a not way, just, yes. Yeah. Like, I, 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 I think you, that's exactly... Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, certainly, I mean, it's, it's, as a thing The it goes for everything, the more, the more you, you have your emotions kind of take over yourself, mm -hmm. the less clearly you can see. Sure. And so you just don't necessarily make the best decisions. Mm -hmm. You don't necessarily act in the best way yeah. for yourself and the people around you. Mm -hmm. That's, that's, that's for sure. Yeah. That's for sure. So it, yeah, it, it benefits everyone to have more. <laughs> Emotional intelligence, oh, yeah. Honestly, or yes. just you know, and just just that having that chance to be more open and have the context that is going to be ready to receive mm -hmm. that. Because I mean, still not, and I mean, there's no there's no way that you can expect somebody to be emotionally open if they're not on on the other hand going to be re received. Exactly. Then there's no there's no possibility. Like you can only be open in a place that's safe enough for you to mm -hmm. do that and if it's not then like then you there's no there's nowhere to go of so course. it's it, the individuals have to learn to be more self-aware and and give themselves permission to express themselves on mm -hmm. that authentic level but then the communities around them the structures around them have to be able to receive those things of course and that's why it's like those for me those things start at the band level they start like interpersonal mm -hmm. once you already have established a certain level of relationship then you can go further yeah. and then that that's also very crucial between like a teacher and a student mm -hmm. relationship because i mean how many messed up teachers i mean like we won't even i don't even no, want that, to go that into that that's, that's conversation <laughs> for another yeah, day. yeah yeah <laughs> exactly so you know so it, it It, it would start there, you know, and then when it starts there, then it impacts larger structures, mm -hmm. entire orchestras or yeah. arts organizations. I mean, as it already has in a way, um, people are becoming more and more aware of these things. So, you know. Yeah, I agree that it's a matter of time. Like it, it yeah. will happen, ho yeah. hopefully sooner rather than later. Yeah. I mean, because it goes hand in hand with lots of things happening like globally and in many other disciplines where... Like mental health is taking more seriously as it yeah. should be, and breaking old traditions and structures most definitely is not. It's almost it's not everyone's interest, especially mm. the people who benefit from that or or are used to that. And then it's not necessarily easy to like do it in a proper way. Like your intentions mm -hmm. might be there, but you might mm. not be able to to execute it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, that's why I figured like the most powerful thing is just. In your own circles, mm -hmm. just start there. Yeah. And like the other things will come right. as they need to. Yeah. And you, I honestly do think that you've, it will eventually find that it's happening next to you or closer mm -hmm. to you than you would have hoped or thought before. Right. So then hopefully that it's like two bubbles, you know, like they might get bigger when they join eventually. Yeah. 
But you, if you start off with a bunch of them, that's definitely way better than hoping to change the bigger yeah, picture. No, because that's it's not realistic. No, it's probably impossible. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's interesting how that also is. It's something that not, you don't necessarily take into account when you're stepping into the world of music, because it's again, like I feel like it's romanticized to very, very big extent. Yeah, it's romanticized and most of the time you're coming into music young, like you don't even know yeah. what's going on. Yeah. <laughs> you're not aware of your emotional processes. You're of not course. aware of the context of your experience. Mm -hmm. So when we grow up idol idolizing all these martyrs, I think that's becoming increasingly out of fashion, but it's still in fashion because, you know, if, if you're not a martyr for like your amazing talent, you're a martyr for like the amount of hours you put in. And, mm -hmm. if it, and yeah. all of that is just, it's, it's all so unhealthy it's, that we yeah. idolize these things. So yeah, you have to undo the brainwashing. <laughs> yeah, true. <laughs> you have to undo the brainwashing. And, and the flashiness of yeah, like exactly. what we were talking like before we began recording of being able to like just invite someone into a space that looks a certain way. Mm -hmm. becomes more important than what you could do in that space. Being created in yeah. That space, yeah. You're, so we we do have that constantly being pushed on us of what do you, what do you look like even like as a yeah. as someone in the music making community like well you have to what's your genre what music do you make well, then you should at least look a specific way right. you should have a specific set of tools right. if you don't then what's going on then you can't take yourself too seriously. Right. These expectations that yeah. are put on the profession that are beyond the actual craft. Yeah. And yeah, that's another, you know, toxic environment trait, which is fitting into the mold and, and having people expect. I don't, you know, because I've only heard of this from secondhand, mm -hmm. you know, and you've experienced it. But it's uh, it's unfortunate and we're not trained. To, like, we don't know that these things are coming when we get into the yeah. métier. We don't know that somebody might expect us to have a flashy studio mm -hmm. and they won't give us a contract because we don't work in, like, a nice room. Yeah. You know, and it's, it's these things, it would be nice if they were undone. However, it's different backgrounds, different modes of operating, like... Like we were saying, it's mm -hmm. it would be nice if the people training the upcoming generations of music workers of all kinds to make us more aware of these other factors that influence our career well beyond the level of skill and ability. Yeah, uh, sure. But things like we were saying, network, material resources, all things that are, you know, very privileged based, they do matter a lot in whether or not you get a contract. And yeah. we're not told that. And then we take it on our backs to say, oh, well, I exactly. didn't get that contract because I'm not good enough. I didn't practice <sighs> my thing enough. I, I don't have the skill. It, my very instrument often, is not like there yet. I should yeah. have a better instrument. Yeah, it very often does not have anything to do no, with that. exactly. Because I feel like, I don't know whether or how it happened, but it kind of seems as though it's, it's part of the elimination process in a way. Mm. Like you, a certain amount of people start a degree only if so many actually finish and graduate. Then well, after yeah. a couple of years, only so many people actually end up continue working on yeah. that. So you're constantly being like... Eliminated. <laughs> eliminated. Yeah, yeah. And through a process that if you were aware of from the very beginning, at least you would have 
like you wouldn't necessarily take it the wrong way you you know yeah, you wouldn't you wouldn't um be so hard on yourself yeah you wouldn't make I it think. that personal yeah, exactly because there's people around me like in my close circle in my wider circle that ha began either at the same time as me or more or less at the same time and had to go a different way for whatever reason because there are many reasons we were never told that that would happen mm, yeah obviously everyone's starting in their mind when they begin studying that is i'm gonna make it or and which is also not necessarily the healthiest because then you're like oh i'm gonna be the next mm -hmm. fill in the blank yeah and then when if and when you don't make it you've you set everything up so that you have you only have yourself to blame and mm -hmm. that's not necessarily true yeah you, you're all. not understanding your place yeah. in the large context yeah, exactly. so then you're the like you exactly yeah. you disappoint yourself but yeah. it's really not it's not as simple as oh you right. weren't good enough no exactly. there's so many other things that yeah. we're not in control of no at all. that was the first half of my conversation with liberté Anne. for the second part we're gonna pick up where we left off and in the meantime i leave you with opus one by myself and Liberté Anne.